tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. All right, welcome everybody. You are listening live to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Lake. I am your host. It is Wednesday, November 1st. We are coming at you a day later in the week than we normally do. We took uh, yesterday off so that everybody could enjoy Halloween. Hope everybody had a good Halloween, didn't eat too much candy. And uh, we are going to be with you for an hour tonight instead of the regular hour and a half. And we're going to do that because uh, last night in Game 6 of the World Series, Uh, The Los Angeles Dodgers defeated the Houston Astros to send it to Game 7. So uh, Kip Kiefer, who we're going to welcome here in a minute, even though these games are averaging three hours and 40 minutes, first pitch uh, just went off in Chavez Ravine about four minutes ago before we started this podcast. But Kip, we're going to give it uh, just an hour today on the podcast so everybody can go enjoy what hopefully will be innings four through nine, game seven of the World Series. With that, we do want to welcome uh, from Birmingham, Alabama, our college football guru, Mr. Kip Kiefer. Kip, welcome again to the podcast. Chip, thank you, and although the first pitch just was launched moments ago, the Astros have already launched uh, an attack. Hugh Darvish's woes continue. Quick update, 2 nothing Houston with one out in the first inning. So this is uh, yes, indeed. This yes, indeed. So uh, a quick strike from uh, a quick strike from the Astros to quiet the uh, the home crowd. So we'll certainly keep everybody updated uh, on the score as we um, uh, as we are on the podcast for an hour, and hopefully we'll have some meaningful baseball when it's over with. But Kip, we got uh, we got a lot to talk about in an hour, and then later <laughs> in the podcast, hopefully we're going to be joined by uh, the Buffalo Bad Boy, Mr. Pete Tasca, and then uh, the Savage Burn, Mr. Steve Butler, who is uh, in honor of a previous Red Zone Sports Reports guest, <laughs> Mr. Nick Garcia, had a tennis obligation this evening. Yes, so we, yeah. uh, we, we hope that he survives his tennis obligation, Kip. But uh, big news in college football, tons of news in college football. Before we go over the initial college football player rankings, which came out last night. Let's talk a little bit about the situation in Gainesville at the University of Florida, the world's largest cocktail party this weekend in Jacksonville, this past weekend in Jacksonville, between the Georgia Bulldogs and the Florida Gators. Over the past 10 years, Kip, this has been a game that Florida has really dominated. It's been very difficult for Georgia to get over the hump 
you know, you really didn't get that feeling this year. Everything seems to be going Georgia's way. Nothing seems to be going Florida's way. Um, I think the line uh, a couple hours before kickoff was 14-and-a-half, which candidly I thought was the best line of the season in college football for the favorites, uh, especially given – all the activity of the morning, we uh, turned in. Everybody that was watching game day on Saturday morning saw that Jim McElwain had to address his team as a 14-and-a-half-point underdog before the Georgia-Florida game and assure them that the rumors of his demise were premature. Uh, maybe only 24 hours premature. But nonetheless, that's never a good thing when you need to get your team focused on a game in which they are outmatched and outmanned, and it just didn't look good. Uh, Florida gets dominated by Georgia. In all fairness, there are a lot of teams this year that have been dominated by Georgia. But, um, you know, what a whirlwind of a couple weeks and really a, a year for Jim McElwain after, uh, you know, for looked like it was like six weeks in the offseason, there was a photo floating around the Internet of a man on a whale or a shark or a fish who was naked. And, you know, it looked like Jim McElwain, and it wasn't until eight weeks later until he was exonerated and they found out exactly (laughs) who was sitting on that big fish naked. Now, all of a sudden, who would have ever guessed, Kip, that Jim McElwain would be out of a job at Florida before Butch Jones is out of a job in Tennessee? Kip, your thoughts on the situation in Gainesville? Yeah, pretty shocking. I mean, you know, you have to factor in that uh, Florida lost their two um, star offensive players, the starting running back Scarlett, the wide receiver Callaway, who may be the best wide receiver in the league uh, in this in this uh, scandal and, and uh, criminal charges of, of fraud and, uh, and, and basically stealing. Um, and – you know, that certainly got them off to a terrible start this year. But um, I, I think McIlwain, to even make this worse, um, winning a couple of games that were highly unlikely, the Tennessee win, they were beaten up and down the field by a really bad Tennessee team and pulled out a miraculous win, and then somehow extended the Kentucky futility to 31 years in a row uh, in a game Kentucky led by 13 with five minutes to play. Um, but so they, they, they escaped with smoke and mirrors in those two games, but it's all come back to roost. Uh, the consecutive losses at home just are intolerable for the Florida faithful. But I think what really nailed the McElwain coffin shut was coming out on Monday of last week and trying to elicit uh, some sympathy, uh, saying that he and his family and, some, and the players had been receiving death threats, which, of course, yeah. the university took – seriously and immediately tried to initiate an investigation and McIlwain basically kind of shrugged and said well I really don't have anything to provide Um, so I I don't know if that was just some kind of dramatic license to to um, you know to to get people uh, some some sympathy on his his direction and his team's direction for their three-game losing streak whatever it was it backfired because you know, it seems to me like the administration just said, you know, this is enough's enough. So I, I think that, as much as anything, uh, sealed his fate. 
It did, and I tell you, the new athletic director, uh, Scott Strickland, who took over for Jeremy Foley, did not hire Jim McElwain, obviously, so he has no loyalty to McElwain, nor does McElwain have any loyalty to him. Um, I I thought his statement before the game was very telling, Kip. Um, You know, McElwain had to address his team. Scott Strickland in the Sports Information Department in uh, the University of Florida put out a statement that said, there are no truths to the rumors that um, there are no tr- there's no truth to the report that the University of Florida has been in contact or is talking to or in conversation with right. Jim McElwain or any agents of Jim McElwain to discuss a buyout. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read that before the kickoff as to say, ooh, oh, oh, oh. they've clearly <laughs> talked about it internally. He's just saying they haven't talked to McElwain or his any agent right. of Jim McElwain for that. You, you certainly knew at that time that the, the goose was probably cooked. And and I tell you, you know, Jim McElwain is normally a pretty combative guy. Uh, he had a $12 million buyout. And, uh, oh. you know, when he was asked a question in uh, in his postgame press conference, he was as humbled, Kip, as I have ever seen him. I think he was resigned to his fate. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, um, McIlwain is no longer the coach at the University of Florida, but unless the reports are inaccurate, there is no agreement at this time about what he's getting as as a buyout. Um, He will not get the full $12 million. Reports are that he's likely to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 to $4 million. And, and look, you hate to feel bad for a guy who, you know, uh, loses his job and and gets a 3 or $4 million severance. But, you know, the reality is before his comment about his death threat, he was due a $12 million severance. And I I think, Kip, you're right. He would still be the head football coach at the University of Florida today, I think, had he not come out and and said that I have, you know, my family and and our players have been the subject of death threats because at that point in time when the university wanted to follow up on that – they believed once McElwain did not provide them any evidence of such a threat, they really feel, felt like they had a strong case to mm-hmm. part ways with Jim McElwain for cause. Thoughts on that, Yes. Kip? Well, and I think that's exactly right, and whether or not that cause is going to hold up legally is going to be a fascinating subject um, because, uh, you know, I, I – I, uh, obviously, there's a strong legal opinion within the ranks of uh, of, of, of Florida's uh, council that it will pass that muster, but uh, I, I still think that's that's a tough case to make. So uh, my, my law Great. degree is from Target, but but uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to be fascinated <laughs> to see how all that unfolds. Um, but it you know, is, I think, and I, and I tell I you, think, Kip. Yeah, here here's another very interesting situation, and and look if. If you turned on any type of syndicated sports radio, and I know you're, you know, you live in that space, and and you and I pay a lot of attention to that space. Um, I tell you, who's been taking a beating in Monday, Tuesday, and also Saturday and Sunday on Twitter was uh, the athletic administration at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, um, and they've oh, taken gosh, a beating yes. because um, Butch Jones is still the coach at Tennessee and, and Florida has gotten a leg up on 
the coaching search. Now, Kip, I, I don't know that I agree with that, and let me explain to you why, and would love to get your thoughts on it. I don't think it takes a genius to realize that um, Butch Jones is not going to be the head football coach at the University of Tennessee next year. Um, uh, there, there's no scenario whatsoever, none, that 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 has Butch Jones returning as coach. That's a done deal. Um, when uh, Gene Chizik, in his last year at Auburn, uh, we finished the SEC 0-8, we knew midway through the season Gene Chizik wasn't coming back. Gene Chizik knew midway through the season he wasn't coming back. Uh, he lost the team early in the year, never got the team back. But I thought it was the right thing for the administration to do to wait until the end of the year to make a change. Candidly, I'll tell you, Kev, I think it's the right thing for Tennessee to do, and here's why. Because Randy Shannon is now the interim coach at the University of Florida, and Florida finishes the season at Missouri, at South Carolina, against UAB and against Florida State. They could easily win three of those football games. There's an outside chance they could win all four of those football games. Randy Shannon is the former head coach at the University of Miami. He's an African-American coach. Um, he does have uh, SEC pedigree. Does Florida risk, by doing this in midseason, unlike Tennessee does, does Florida risk putting themselves in a similar situation that LSU found themselves in last year? Now, look, um, it, it, it certainly looks like LSU's turned it around since their loss to Troy. I still don't think that Ed Orgeron is the long-term answer for LSU, but I could be wrong. But, you know, could Florida be looking at, you know, if, if they win three of those four games, and they could, don't you think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Scott Strickland to give Randy Shannon a, uh, a, a permanent job and take away the interim title as head football coach? Yeah, well, that that's always the, that's always the concern. That's why it's probably better, um, you know, because I, I there's other examples too, um, you know, at, at USC when Sarkeesian was removed a couple of years ago, Clay Helton uh, yeah. was elevated as interim coach. They finished pretty well. Um, Helton had a, a a good finish to the season last year after a bad start, but uh, this year this USC team may be the most disappointing team in the country. So uh, yeah. there, there aren't many examples of the popular interim coach. They're kind of like the backup quarterback. That Everybody's calling for the, the next guy, and, and if they get off to any kind of start, I mean, it's something I haven't really considered, but certainly I think you make a legitimate point. If they finish strong, then all of a sudden the players are supportive and the fans. I mean, that's just what happened with Orgeron last year, and I, and I I'm absolutely agree with you. Uh, Coach O, I I don't think LSU has their house in order yet. They, uh, I think Auburn has much beat themselves in their one notable win um, in the second half. LSU made a couple plays. I still uh, can't understand punting to the to Chark, the probably the number one threat on the LSU team with the ball in his hands. Sure. But uh, that's that's neither here nor there. But uh, the one-point win over Florida and the win at Ole Miss, not exactly resounding victories. So, and uh, I think uh, in light of what happened with the uh, playoff committee's uh, actions last night, they're going to run into a kind of a surly Alabama bunch on Saturday. So we'll just see where this LSU outfit is. Uh, I'm, not, I'm still not convinced they're out of the woods. But to answer your question, that's a very legitimate concern. 
and it's always something that's difficult uh, in the mid part of the season. I mean, you're almost better off elevating somebody from the staff that basically has no chance to garner support. And if you're going to do that, you might as well stick with the guy that's in the job. But the the downside to that at Tennessee is the fans are just calling for Butch's scalp and, and, uh, and they, they are just absolutely just, just (laughs) coming unglued and still on the sideline, especially with the, the latest controversy that they played a kid uh, for concussion. almost a half that uh, clearly had a yeah. concussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, do, it doesn't look good for Butch Jones. The question is, when does his epitaph get written? You know, when does his tombstone get into the ground? Because he's not going to be there. But it certainly does look like now he will survive the rest of the year. But maybe not. Yeah. You know, maybe they maybe they do feel like they might need to, might need to get a jump. I don't know that you're getting a jump when you make a change midseason, but but we'll see. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Kip, let's pivot a little bit and talk about the release of the the first release of the college football playoff rankings. Um, some surprises in there. Not a whole lot of surprises. It didn't shock me that Georgia was number one. I don't think they're a better football team than Alabama, but they have a better quality win with the uh, win against Notre Dame on the road early in the year. Um, Kip, I know you're on the radio over there in Birmingham. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what the uh, what the natives are thinking about Alabama being number two. <laughs> I candidly think it's not a bad position for them to be. Uh, it gives another reason. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, being number one is just another dose of rat poison for Nick Saban. Exactly. But, you know, now they're number exactly. two and they have something to prove. Tell me what what, were, what stood out to you with this first ranking. Yeah, uh, being number two is an antidote to rat poison. So uh, I, I, the, the, the natives over here are not pleased. Sweet home Alabama is soured by this decision by the committee. They're just incredulous. They can't believe it. Uh, Alabama has rolled over all comers this year. But if you really look closely to what this committee is supposed to do, um, you know, I I tweeted early yesterday, uh, don't be surprised, Georgia's going to be number one. And it's based on strength of schedule and and, uh, the, the results of other teams that have played other quality teams and power rankings and just a whole lot of other factors, there is an eye test to it. But the fact of the matter is, and Alabama fans don't want to hear this, but they do not, of the current top 25, not a single one of those teams have been one of Alabama's victims. Alabama has not beaten a team that's currently in the top 25. I heard an argument this morning from an impassioned fan that, well, Florida State was number three when Bama beat them. That should count for something. Well, it doesn't because Florida State was number three in a preseason poll. That's before any game was played. That's the opinion of writers and uh, athletic directors in the in the various polls. The opening games ranking means absolutely nothing. Florida State is two and five now. They lost thirty-five to three this week to Boston College. I mean, good grief. Um, Alabama, it's not their fault that Arkansas and Tennessee and Ole Miss have all derailed at the same time, but they have. Uh, they don't have a quality win, and the one uh, decent road game that they've been faced with at Texas A&M, they won by eight points. In the meantime, Georgia has beaten the number three team in the poll in South Bend. Notre Dame has gone on to uh, beat all comers, including uh, ranked teams in Michigan State, USC, and North Carolina State. And at the same time, 
Georgia also has a win over Mississippi State, which has crawled back into number 16 in the poll. Mississippi State went to Texas A&M and wiped out the Aggies this past weekend, much worse than Alabama did. So to put Alabama ahead of Georgia just from the data standpoint would have been uh, impractical. And, you know, this week Alabama plays LSU, who's now ranked 15th and is, is on the rise. Georgia plays an unranked South Carolina team. The poll could be completely different come this week, and that's what folks over here are failing to realize, that this is a week-to-week deal. It has nothing to do with uh, what's coming up. It has to do with just at this very moment what's taking place. So, you know, at the at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. If you're in the top four, you're in the playoff, and that's all that, that matters. But uh, Alabamians did not enjoy the uh, designation as the number two team behind Alabama East and Kirby Smart. I lost him after all that. What is going on? the number. Why is that not there?
I want to welcome back to the show Pete Tasca. Pete, can you hear me? I can hear you, Chip. Oh, good. I apologize. We had some technical difficulties there, and uh, and uh, I was alerted uh, by the college football guru, Mr. Kip Kiefer, that nobody could hear me, so I had to get on another phone. I was just go ahead, and I was talking away by myself, as I normally do when, uh, when the first college football <laughs> ranking comes out. I talk to myself, but um, nobody could hear me, Pete, so uh, I'm happy to have you on, and I'm happy that you can hear me. Before we ended up uh, before uh, we ended up running into some te- technical difficulties, Kip and I were discussing the initial college football playoff rankings that came out. Um, Pete, what were your initial thoughts when the rankings came out? Well, I, I mean, first and foremost, I, I know that there's a, a heavy affiliation with Georgia and Alabama on the show, and there's a lot of allegiances that that are kind of connected to these teams. Let's let's just take a moment and just tip our hats to the Georgia Bulldogs and Kirby Smart. I mean, are you kidding me with this football team? It's it's almost as stunning. It's almost. It's more stunning than the turnaround of the Buffalo Bills in the NFL. But I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> that at some point. But yeah, the Georgia Bulldogs. I, I mean, I'm just so impressed. It's just. A really, really amazing achievement. Um, I know the Bulldogs fans out there, they, they must be feeling that, that trepidation. They must be feeling, again, I, again, I know we're going to touch on it, I, I'm sure of it, but they must be feeling similar to what Bills fans are feeling about tomorrow night, the trap game against the New York Jets with the South Carolina Gamecocks. I mean, it, it's almost written. It's almost scripted because there's been so many letdowns over the years. They get it cranked up. It looks like they're going to be on their way again at the Bulldogs. And then there you have one of those stinker losses. And and usually it it ends up being on the heels of maybe another loss that comes, you know, right along with it. And and, and the whole season is derailed again, you know, in terms of SEC championships and national championship contention and all that. But I, I don't know. This team looks for real. It looks legitimate. And the defense, the running game, the freshman quarterback, he, he looks every bit the part. Uh, I love it. I really do. I, I love what I'm seeing out of that football team. I, I've been a fan. You know my allegiance, you know, is with USC and the Trojans. We won't even, you know, bother to, to talk about that at all. But, you know, I, I've always been a Bulldogs fan. I lived down in Atlanta for about three years in, in the late 90s. And, you know, the burn and a couple other fellas, and a couple other fellas, our, our very own you know, Chip Lake tried to turn me into an Auburn Tigers fan a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did indeed. I did the best I could, Pete. I did the best I could. Really impressed. You did the best you could. I, I mean, I guess I, I could be considered an honorary fan, you know, having been on the planes with you and, and having experienced, uh, you know, the, the – the, uh, it was the Georgia Bulldogs game, as a matter of fact, a couple of years ago. And unfortunately – the Tigers laid an egg in that game, but anyway, it was a great time, a wonderful experience, and just very gracious, Chip, you were, you know, that that uh, that weekend that I was down there. But, yeah, I'm with the Bulldogs. I, I love what this football team is all, all about right now, and I hope they can keep it going because I, I think we all want to see the, well, not all of us, but a few of us want to see the, the Crimson Tide in the Georgia Bulldogs going heads in the SEC title game in the new stadium 
in downtown Atlanta. Boy, wouldn't that be sweet. Boy, With the boy wouldn't, that, the, wouldn't that the be something if both of them come in undefeated. Kit, before we had technical difficulties, and I was blabbering to myself, evidently, because nobody could hear me, um, I was blabbering to myself about the Georgia Bulldogs that Pete just talked about. And, and I don't disagree with a lot of what Pete said. The, the only thing I was adding and the only concern I would have if I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan is – it's almost like the kiss of death, you know. It's almost like, mm-hmm. man, I wish yep. we would have been three or two, but one early this early. I mean, Georgia's got to play South Carolina. They got to go to Auburn. They got to play Kentucky. They got to play Georgia Tech. Then they got to play Alabama in the SEC title game. Here's my concern about Georgia, Kip, um, and I, I've said this all week. Um, the, the Georgia Bulldogs are as good of a football team as I've seen in 15 years. But they're not a balanced football team. They're good because they play solid defense, and they have four to five guys who you can hand the rock to who can bruise it between the tackles. A couple of them can get out around the edges, and, and they, can, they can ball control. Um, they can, uh, I mean, they're as deep in, in the backfield as I've ever seen. They have a true freshman quarterback who I think is a very good quarterback in Jake Fromm. I think he's got a great head on his shoulder. But, Kip, I'm going to read you some of Jake Fromm's lines. They beat Florida 42-7. to Jake Fromm completes four passes. They beat Tennessee 41 to nothing. Jake Fromm completes seven passes. They beat Mississippi State 31 to 3. Jake Fromm completes nine passes. Now look, um, Jake Fromm did not need to throw the ball to beat those teams the way that Georgia beat those teams. But Georgia has not needed their quarterback to win any football games for them this year. And my concern for Georgia fans right now is he probably didn't want to be one today. He probably wanted to be <laughs> You wanted to wait to be one until you either played Alabama and beat them, or you could have played Alabama as two, and I think still been, assuming it was a close game in the college football playoff. But, Kip, i got to tell you, the best line I have seen in years in college football was Georgia minus 14.5 this weekend against Florida. With all that controversy, I thought it was the best line I have seen in years. I got to tell you, I like South Carolina plus 24 and a half this week in my pick them just as well as I did Georgia. That's a lot of pressure on a Bulldogs team because when you're number one, you have reached your destination. You're no longer on a journey. How is Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs going to handle that? And am I wrong to think that you know Georgia fans should be happy with where they are but also knowing that they really don't know yet in what they have with this true freshman quarterback. Yeah, I you know, I think it's fair to point out that the completions have been few, but uh he was 4 for 7 in the Florida game. He wasn't 4 for 17. Uh and very well but absolutely was, right. His completion percentage is strong. They just don't need him to throw the football to win the game. Yeah, they I mean it was such a joke. They scored three times in their first eight offensive plays. The the touchdown pass to Wins was a brilliant throw. It was about a 20-yard completion. He hit him right on the back shoulder. I mean, Wins made a great catch, jumped in the air. But, uh, I mean, he delivered it right where it needed to be. So, But, I mean, it is a legitimate concern. 
Of course, you also, if, if it ever came down to when a, a, a passing uh, situation was required, if, if Jake from State From uh, faltered at all, <laughs> you've also got Jacob Eason, a five-star quarterback who has uh, actually won some games, well, should, especially the Tennessee game last year, made a 50-yard throw to win the game until the uh, Hail Mary uh, snatched um, uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, but it was it was uh, you know you you've you've got you've got a pretty good pitcher uh, in the bullpen if if, if need be so uh, that 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 is the one that is the one element of this Georgia team you wonder about. On the other hand, I couldn't agree with you more on the uh, on the number one designation. Uh, if if Nick Saban's team was getting uh, little bites of red poison, uh, Georgia's drinking a whole jug of it right now, and I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm sure Kirby Smart. I'm sure Kirby Smart is uh, is is expending every bit of energy he has uh, going really Nick Saban on his team to try and keep them focused, um, you know because of course uh, and the Florida game I, I I was not surprised at all Georgia came out and unleashed their fury and frustration of a number of years and the Florida players played right into their hands by trash talking I thought one of the brilliant stories of the entire week last week was when uh, a couple of the Florida players came out, the one kid said, yeah, Georgia might be number three in the nation, but uh, they can't beat Florida. Kirby Smart immediately called a players meeting and says, anybody in this room who's beaten Florida, stand up. And, of course, yeah. nobody could. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, thought that was right. brilliant, uh, a, a brilliant psychological thing to do. And I hope he's got some more tricks in, in the bag because uh, – uh, South Carolina is not a bad football team. They're not anything special, but the fact that uh, 24 and a half points, I couldn't agree with you more. I think this is going to be a difficult game for Georgia from the standpoint of the carryover of being designated the number one team and coming off to an emotional, just dynamic win against Florida. Interesting. Pete, let me ask you this as somebody who resides outside of SEC territory, because once these college football playoff rankings come out, um, you know, it, uh, you know, folks like us on sports talk radio shows and on podcasts like this, we can go over scenarios all day long. But the reason we go over scenarios all day long is because many times these scenarios end up playing themselves out. And then all of a sudden at the end of the season, um, you know, the, the final four um, looks a lot different, or excuse me, not necessarily the final four, but maybe the final 12, final 15 looks a lot different than it did at the beginning. Um, right now you've got Georgia and you've got Alabama one and two. Uh, I've said this before on this podcast, and I've said it to, uh, uh, to anybody that will listen. I think the SEC is as weak from top to bottom from a depth perspective this year than we've been in, in, in as long as I can remember. That being said, I think Alabama and Georgia are two of the top football programs in the country, if not the top two. Um, here's something that not a lot of people are talking about, and they're not talking about Alabama having a loss after the conclusion of this season. But let me play this scenario out for you, Pete, and tell me, you know, tell me what your thoughts are on, on how it might play out. Alabama has four games remaining. They play LSU, Mississippi State, Mercer, and Auburn. Um, everybody's assuming that Alabama's going to run the table, and they might run the table. But I, I think Kip would agree that three of those games, they could 
They're losable games. If Alabama, if the team that showed up against Texas A&M shows up, what if Alabama stumbles coming in, stumbles coming in? What if Auburn were to beat Georgia? Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC title (laughs) game. Does a one-loss Alabama team sneak into the top four? Are they looking in from the outside? That is the awkward pause of are you serious with that question, Kev? <laughs> of course they're in. I mean, they're, they they get a bite. I mean, they're in no matter what. It's, there's no question about it. I mean, come on, it's Alabama and Saban. Uh, one loss, it, it doesn't make a difference. Alabama's in. I, I mean, if if some miraculous scenario plays out, you know, such as you just highlighted, I, I guess there's there's an argument that could be made, uh, but Alabama has to be in. I mean, we we already know that they're one of the, the top four teams, and clearly, in my opinion, they're the number one team. I, I mean, like you said a few minutes ago, it's almost a kiss of death for the Georgia fans. I can't – it's just – you don't want to be ranked number one right now. I mean, it, it's, it's like bittersweet. There's no doubt about it. To, to be coronated number one this early, it, it really is uncomfortable, I'm sure, for Georgia fans. But, yeah, Alabama's in. One loss or not, you, you've got to pencil them into to one of the top four spots, in my opinion, without question. Interesting. Kip, let me ask you this question. When you look outside the top eight, I only see two teams outside the top eight that, that, that have a pathway at all into the championship game, and that's Wisconsin at nine and Oklahoma State at 11. And let me make my argument as to why. Now, I'm not making the argument that they're going to do it, but the Big Ten West is about as weak as any division you know, subdivision of any, um, uh, of any conference in college football. So Wisconsin's undefeated at 8 0. Um, they are the highest ranked undefeated team outside of Georgia and Alabama in the rankings. They wrap up the season with Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, and Minnesota. They should be able to win all those games, depending on what Michigan team shows up. And then they play in the Big Ten championship game against likely, um, you know, likely an Ohio State team. And uh, you know, right now both you know, right now both of those teams are in the outside looking in, and so I could see a path for Wisconsin. Although I don't know that they get by an Ohio State team. I think there's three teams in the Big Ten East that are probably better than Wisconsin. But then Oklahoma State. Um, I tell you, this Oklahoma State team is clicking right now on offense. It's going to be difficult for anybody to outscore them. They end the season with Oklahoma. So if they beat Oklahoma this weekend who's right now number five in the college football playoff rankings. Um, They're going to jump in a hurry. It certainly increases their strength of schedule. It increases their body of work. And then, by the way, the following weekend, they played number 25, Iowa State. So, uh, um, excuse me, number 15, Iowa State. So, in the next two weeks, Oklahoma State has the ability, um, I, I think the most ability of any of these teams to move up quickly, and then they end the season with Kansas State and Kansas, which are cupcake wins. Keep in mind that that conference does not have a conference title game. And so the question then becomes, if Oklahoma State runs the table, do you think there's a scenario, Kip, that keeps them out of the top four? Well, I mean, actually, uh, and this is something that's not widely being talked about, but they are actually going to have a conference championship game this year for the first time 
The NCAA has oh, backed right. I did off. Not know. I, I did not think they were going to. Yeah, they've backed off the, uh, the 12-team requirement. and Well, that's all right because, like I say, it hasn't – I've been kind of surprised that because uh, I even heard another commentator the other day say the same thing because it's just become the accepted fact in that conference. But what they're doing is they don't have divisions. The two, te- the two best records in the conference will meet for the Big 12 Conference Championship, so there will be one more hurdle for the Cowboys – I think I think this uh, this hurdle this weekend they they host OU in Stillwater. I can remember four or five occasions over the last few years where they've been in this position to kind of legitimize themselves, and it just seems like Oklahoma just always has their number. Um, and and this is just like uh, and, and Georgia got lucky this past week because Florida was a huge mental hurdle for them losing 21 out of the last 27 games, that this is the same thing probably magnified for Oklahoma State, who's always taken a second fiddle kind of position to OU. It's unusual they're playing this early in the year. The Bedlam uh, game usually is the last game of the season. So uh, this is going to be very dramatic, this game, uh, if Mason Rudolph and the Cowboys can break through. They're actually a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Oklahoma's defense—they're uh, number five in the poll, but Oklahoma's defense has been a, has been disastrous. Um, if you recall, they had to score on the last play of the game to beat Kansas State a couple of weeks ago. They've got the bad loss to Iowa State. They barely got by Texas, a team that struggled all year. So uh, Oklahoma State on paper certainly looks like the play this weekend. They're a two and a half point favorite, but uh, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, Oklahoma just has owned them, and uh, that's, yeah, that's going to be a fascinating thing to witness. It's going to be a fun game to watch. Two of the top quarterbacks in college football, um, uh, Mason Rudolph and Baker Mayfield. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch. Pete, let's talk a little bit before we talk uh, NFL. Let's talk a little bit about Penn State and Ohio State. Boy, I tell you what, watching that game this past weekend, Ohio State comes from behind, defeats Penn State 39-38. to Really a tale of two halves, but in many ways it wasn't. Um, Saquon Barkley going into the game, uh, clearly the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. It was almost like he was like a Leonard Fournette was after week four or five last year. They had already given him the trophy. Um, and anybody that watched the second half of that game, um, I never felt like Penn State was going to win that game. I never did. I didn't have any money on the game. It just felt like a game that Ohio State was going to end up winning. And I guess I felt that way because it, 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 even, though, even though Penn State had a, a, a big lead at halftime, well, they were up 28 to 17, and, and then I believe they were up, they scored first in the third quarter to go up 35 to 17 never really got real comfortable for them. And they shut down Saquon Barkley in the second half and really not only exposed in some ways that Penn State offense, but that Penn State defense looked awful at the end of the game. Boy, I tell you, Penn State came into this past weekend looking like they were going to be one or two in the college football playoff rankings. They lose by one point on the road to a one-loss Ohio State team, and Penn State drops to seven. What are we supposed to make of this Penn State team, Pete? And what are we supposed to make of this Ohio State team? Well, 
I mean, I think what you got out of Penn State is, is who they are, certainly. Uh, a good football team, but in my opinion, not an elite football team. I mean, Saquon Barkley, as you mentioned, he, he fits right into that, that mold of a Leonard Fournette type. He was just, you know, rolling through teams over the first, you know, uh, quarter and a half or so of the season here. And then you got McSorley, he's a gamer, no doubt, kind of reminds me of, uh, of um, you know, the kid at Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield, as that, that moxie, not a big kid and maybe not the biggest arm, but just, just gets it done and is a fighter and, and will battle to the end. But the real story of this game, in, in my opinion, I'm sure you'd both agree, was JT Barrett. I mean, it, the, the, the kid has been through a lot over the last couple of years, high-profile program, you know, huge spotlight at Ohio State. And uh, there's been some real up and downs. The expectation is no different than it is for the Alabamas of the world. Uh, you know, it's national championships year in and year out, and, and they've just fallen short. And here he is in his senior season, um, you know, expected to do great things for that team. And they've already got one loss under their belt. Looks like they're going to lose another one. And here he comes down the stretch in the fourth quarter, and the guy just catches fire. And it really was awesome to see. And, and I'm not an Ohio State fan by any stretch. Not in one way, shape, or form was I looking at that game and hoping that Ohio State would win it. There's never been a day in my life I rooted for Ohio State. Um, with that <laughs> being said, right. I'm happy for J.C. Barrett. I mean, it was a great performance. It really catapulted him possibly into this Heisman conversation now. I mean, mm-hmm. because it really oh, no is question. a toss-up. With, with Barkley coming back to the pack, it's now a very large pack of maybe not any great college football players this year who's going to win the Heisman and not to take anything away from the greatness of a lot of these players out there but there's no one really separating themselves it's going to be an interesting stretch run in that regard that's for sure it, it, you're exactly right and to that point Pete anybody that expected to tune in that game and, and watch Saquon, Saquon Barkley and watch a Heisman Trophy candidate when you got done watching that game I think everybody was saying uh, if there was a player on the field today that deserves serious consideration for the Heisman Trophy, it was J.T. Barrett. And who would have thought that mm-hmm. after the opening kickoff? But I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Um, I mean, the guy was in fuego. He looked like Tom Brady in the third and fourth <laughs> quarter of the Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons last year. Oh, he couldn't no. miss. He couldn't <laughs> miss. But, Kip, let me talk to you about this. We uh, Here's what I think is – it's just it's fascinating about college football. There's intriguing storylines every week, intriguing storylines in the NFL. But we have the first college football playoff rankings that come out. And for the first time this year in college football, for the first time, we have seven games this week that feature teams that are in the top 25 against each other. Now, I was not real good at math when I was in school, but I believe if there are seven <laughs> games – Featuring top 25 mm-hmm. teams, that's 14 teams that are in the top 25 that play each other. You talk about some games this weekend, Kip, that are going to have a considerable impact on next week's college football playoffs. I'm going to mention the seven games, and then, Kip, I want you to tell me which one you think is going to surprise us the most. And then, Pete, I'm going to ask you the same question. you got Penn State, number seven, playing against Michigan State, number 24. You've got number 21, Stanford, and number 21, Washington State. You've got Clemson and North Carolina State. North Carolina State lost this weekend in Notre Dame, but they're still 6-2. and two. We already talked about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. 
Virginia Tech and Miami. Not a whole lot of people talking about that game, but Virginia Tech 7-1. and one, They're only lost to Clemson, playing an undefeated Miami team. Uh, and then you've got LSU and Alabama, LSU at 19, Alabama at number two. And then the final game of the seven that features top 25 teams is a 6-2 and two Arizona team and a 7-2 and two USC team. Kip, which one of these games do you think is going to surprise folks? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say the North Carolina State Clemson game. I I have a feeling. I I think the Wolfpack are pretty legit. I think they're used to being on the big stage. They started off very well against Notre Dame, got worn down uh, on the road. Clemson has to come in there. I I still am not sold on the Clemson offense. I I just don't think that they're a legitimate unit. Um, the quarterback apparently is 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 healthy again. Uh, they didn't overwhelm Georgia Tech by any uh, stretch of the imagination last week, although it's a solid win. Paul Johnson's team has been very good all year. But uh, of, of the surprises um, in that scenario, I would say that's the one that uh, North Carolina State really outplayed Clemson last year at Clemson, had every opportunity to win the game, uh, played, got very conservative at the end of the ball game when the, uh, the score was tied and just ran about six straight plays to set up a chip shot, 31-yard field goal. The kicker, of course, being college football, no good. And the game went to overtime. Clemson ended up winning and winning the national championship. So I don't think NC State psychologically is afraid of Clemson. They got them at home. Um, This is a team that has won on some big stages. And and, uh, so if there's going to be a surprise, I think it's the Wolfpack over the Tigers. Interesting, Pete. What game this weekend between top 25 teams are you looking most at for a possible upset? Well, just based on those um, those matchups, Kip, I mean, the Miami Hurricanes and the Virginia Tech Hokies, man, mm-hmm. I, I just, it, it just seems like Miami is getting it done a little bit with smoke and mirrors. I mean, again, you have to give credit where credit is due. They're, they're having a great season under, under Coach Rick. No doubt about it. Scott hopefully has the program back on track because it's good for college football. It's good for college football fans when the Miami Hurricanes are relevant. And it seems like they're coming back. But I think that's the game right there to keep your eyes on because I think they're due for a fall, and I think Virginia Tech is a quality football team. And this could be the week it finally happens for the Hurricanes, and they go down. I'm going to look at that game and say that's the one. That's the one to keep your eyes on. I think it – I think it could be, Pete, a very underwhelming performance this weekend in Chapel Hill to beat a team um, that's not really good right now, banged up. They ended up coming away from Keenan Stadium with the win, but, um, boy, it was ugly, but it was an ugly win. I'm going to tell you guys a game this weekend that does not feature two top 25 teams, but it's going to be a game for everybody to watch that I think could be the upset of the week, and that is the Wake Forest Demon Deacons are going into South Bend this weekend as a 14-point underdog. Mm. Wake Forest is quietly 5-3. and three. Wake Forest has beaten back-to-back an 11th-ranked USC team at home, a 14th-ranked NC State team. The following week, they play at Miami, who's number 10. Notre Dame comes in at number 3 in the college football poll. I'm telling you guys. This is a sleeper game for the Irish. I don't know that Wake can pull out the win, but it is a game to watch on NBC at 3.30 Eastern time. Wake Forest and Notre Dame will be a very competitive game. And do not be surprised 
if the Wake Forest Demon Deacons pull off an upset this weekend. And you heard it here first on the Red Zone Sports Report. It's just tough. It's tough to play four weeks in a row, three out of four games with teams in the top 25. You win your first two. The college football playing ranking comes out, has you at number three. Certainly, I think Notre Dame could be looking forward to that game on the road next week against Miami. So we will have to see how everything goes with that. Man, we are running short on time. We are going to take – we did not have time to get into NFL this week. We're going to do an hour show tonight, as I promised we would, because Game 7 is going on right now. And we are in the bottom of the second inning, and we cut it to one hour in hopes that that us and everybody could go watch a very competitive and very entertaining Game 7 of the World Series. So far, it doesn't look all that competitive um, in the bottom of the third inning. It looks like the Houston Astros have a 5 nothing lead against the L.A. Dodgers. But I tell you guys, the way this wow. series has gone, I, I don't know that this game is – I think this game is far from over, although it certainly looks really, really good right for the Houston Astros. So uh, we're going to take a 30-second break. When we come back on the other end of the 30-second break, we are going to go through winners and losers in the world of sports. So stick with us, folks, and we'll be back, and uh, we'll uh, talk winners and losers. live to the Red Zone Sports Report. My name is Chip Lake. It is Wednesday, November 1st. Um, and I have to admit something. I lied to you guys. 60 seconds ago, I said we're going to come back and do winners and losers. We are going to do winners and losers. But one of the things I forgot to talk about with our esteemed guest tonight, the Buffalo bad boy Pete Taskin, and our college football guru, Kip <laughs> Kiefer, before we get to winners and losers, we are going to talk some trade activity in the, in the NFL. Um, oh, I know we're running yeah. out of time, and we're going to run past the hour that I promised everybody, but um, a very active, a, a lot of active moves at the trade deadline. And Pete Taskin, I want to start with you um, and and really talk about some activity that Buffalo had because I think Buffalo was probably the most active team, NFL team, before the trade deadline. I believe uh, it was only two weeks ago when your winner of the week was Marcel Darius because he finally had a good game and finally came out. And then, lo and behold, Marcel Darius gets traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars for a 2018 sixth-round pick. And then a week later, the Buffalo Bills acquire Kelvin Benjamin from the Carolina Panthers for a third and a seventh round pick. So, uh, Pete, what, what's the thought up in Buffalo about these two trades? Oh, I mean, it's it's just been tremendous up here for the past, you know, week or so in particular. I mean, it's almost must-watch TV, if you will, right? The Buffalo Bills, I mean, 
granted, you, you, you've got me belly aching about this team, you know, week in and week out over the last couple of years where I'm high, I'm low, it's like a roller coaster ride. You all know the drill when you listen to the show. I mean, it's been a long 17-year playoff drought, and uh, the new GM, Brandon Bean, uh, from Carolina, no, no irony there, uh, you know, makes a couple of huge moves at the trade deadline, getting rid of, quite frankly, Marcel Darius, just baggage, um, a player that had to be moved. Um, you know, Sean McDermott, the new head coach, also from uh, the Carolina Panthers, as you all know, I'm sure at this point, um, talks a lot about the process and teamwork and, and, and love. And, you know, the, the guy is deep and, and he's passionate and it's football, you know, 24-7. Um, and they just had to cut the dead weight. And, and that's literal and figurative with Marcel Darius. I mean, he just, <laughs> he, just, he just wasn't buying into the program fully the way that they needed him to, you know, uh, in terms of the, the new philosophy that's obviously taking hold not to mention the salary and, and just so much money he was overpaid in the huge contract uh, that Doug Whaley gave him, the former GM. So shipped him off to you know, former head coach Doug Marone of the Buffalo Bills and Jacksonville Jaguars, and wow, what a defense that, that you know may end up being. They're already you know one of the up-and-coming defenses in the NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They had Marcel Darius motivated, you have to assume Marcel Darius, to that D and looked out for the Jaguars. And then, of course, you know Calvin Benjamin. And what can you really say about that? A third-round pick next year and a seventh-round pick is what we moved for Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, I think we have him for two years already in Carolina. And, um, hey, he, he's not necessarily a game-breaking wide receiver in the mold of, you know, some of the greats out there, but he's a solid, solid uh, football player at the receiver position. He can go up and get it. He can snatch that ball. He can high-point it. He's certainly a red zone threat. And, um, you know, it's something we needed. I mean, we've been trying to find an answer at receiver all year long, and we, we've done it with, uh, you know, a patchwork, you know, crew. And uh, Kelvin Brett Benjamin brings some, some credibility to this receiving core. And uh, the Buffalo Bills are surprisingly, shockingly, almost frighteningly, you know, doing all the right things right now. Again, very reminiscent of what's going on with the Georgia Bulldogs. It's almost like, no, this is happening too quickly. <laughs> it can't be, but, you know, great stuff. Great stuff by Brandon Bean and, and company. And, uh, yeah, we couldn't be happier. And tomorrow night I'll tell the tale versus the New York Jets. I mean, if we get the job done tomorrow night, um, we have New Orleans coming to town the week after, and, and, and we shall see from there. But exciting stuff here in Buffalo, no doubt about it. Yeah, I tell you, I tell you Pete, dare I say it. And you can't say it, but I can. The <laughs> Buffalo Bills are sitting at 5-2. and two. They play the New York Jets tomorrow, a team they should beat, although I'm going to give the Jets credit. I give Todd Bowles and the Jets credit. He has made that team extremely competitive. And they are no getting doubt. the most out of what they have. And, and they are, you know, they're really playing with house money right now because a lot of people predicted they wouldn't win a football game. And they've been very competitive. But it still should be a game Buffalo wins. If Buffalo wins tomorrow, they're 6-2. and two. They have the weekend off. And then the schedule, I think, looks very good for Buffalo coming in. I mean, you, you, you do play the Saints, but you play them at home. you got to go to the West Coast and play the Chargers, but it should be a game that Buffalo should win. you got to play the Patriots twice. Yeah, but, you know think you can pick off one of those games, but then you get to play the Dolphins twice, and you get to play the Dolphins twice in December, and they just traded Jay Ajay. 
And and I think Miami at the end of December is going to be awful. You should be able to win both of those games. Then you have the Colts, and you do have the Chiefs. I mean, there could be three or four, you know, games that are tough. Dare I say it, the Buffalo Bills could win 11 games this year, Pete. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> about the kiss of death, Chip. Oh, Chip, oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm doing the same thing right now. <laughs> I was wrong. Oh I was wrong about Zay Jones, but I'm looking at the math here, and they've already got five in the bank. So it 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 could Ooh. happen. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm saying it 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 could happen. But I think, and I agree everybody. with. <laughs> I think it depends on tomorrow. Tomorrow's football game is as important of a football game for Buffalo than I think they've had in years. There's Agreed. a there's a big difference in playing a Thursday night football game on the road and leaving six and two or five and three. And I, I tell Absolutely. you, my prediction is if they win that football game tomorrow, um, I, I don't see how they get to less than 11 wins. But you've got to take care of business tomorrow. You heard it here first. You heard it. Pete can't say it, but I can't, Kip. Kip, real quick, two other big trades. Jay Ajayi, Dolphins send them to the Eagles. The rich get richer as if Philadelphia needed any more weapons to go into the stretch run. And, uh, you know, they send a, a fourth-round draft pick in 2018. And then the Patriots only had two quarterbacks on their roster. Um, they've now obviously signed Brian Hoyer as a free agent. But Jimmy Garoppolo making the trek across country. And um, uh, I thought it was a very interesting trade. I mean, I, you know, uh, I, I, don't, I really don't know what to make of it. I mean, you know, Tom Brady, it certainly looks like he could play for 10 more years, but he can't. At some point in time, he's going to look like his age. I don't know when that is, but, you know, Tom Brady's 40, Kip. He's 40. And, mm-hmm. you know, while he's playing some of the best football he's ever played in his career, and he looks like he's playing like a seasoned – you know, late twenties veteran. This football team, um, you know, now has uh, just Tom Brady and Brian Hoyer, and and they've gotten rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know whether Jimmy Garoppolo was the heir apparent that was going to take this franchise and 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 hand the reins over to the franchise. I mean, who could possibly take over a franchise from Tom Brady? But I found that trade very interesting, very intriguing. What were your thoughts on uh, Garoppolo getting dealt to San Francisco? For a second-round pick, so San Francisco sends a second-round pick to New England, so maybe they'll use that pick to pick up a quarterback. Who knows? Yeah, I, I, I you know, the the the, uh, the the Dolphins-Eagles trade, adding Jay Ajay to that uh, lineup is very interesting. We'll see if, um, if he can be the dominant back that he's been at times for the Dolphins, uh, but that might just make the Eagles just ridiculous. Um, they're already rolling along with no running game. I think Wendell Smallwood was at the backfield most of the time last yeah. week. And if you're scratching your head going, who's Wendell Smallwood? Uh, he's, he's been he's been the featured back for the Eagles the last couple of weeks. So that's an interesting one. Yeah. The Garoppolo deal, I really don't know. The only thing I can say is that the way New England does things, they have obviously reached the conclusion, having him, had him around for a long time, that he is not the answer when Tom Brady uh, goes down the trail and uh, maybe they've got their eye on somebody else that uh, they think can step into that. Uh, Belichick's not going to be a quarterback deep draft. They could be. 
Yeah, that's right. So I, 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 I you know, uh, the, the changing of the guard there, who knows how long Belichick's going to stay. Um, but obviously the determination in the organization was made that Garoppolo is not the quarterback in waiting. And, um, you know, I, I guess we'll find out. I mean, Garoppolo, I'm sure, has been yearning to be a starter. Be careful what you wish for. Now you step Be careful into the what you wish Francisco for. Situation. Yeah. Uh, I found it interesting today. I read two different articles by two different writers speculating that the uh, Patriots uh, may scoop up Colin Kaepernick, which is always the hot rumor uh, anytime there's a quarterback opening. But now they've added Hoyer, so I guess uh, that's, uh, that's probably not going to come to pass. But um, I, I don't know. I, I have to think that they have somebody on, in their sights that uh, that they think uh, could be the guy that they can develop in the future. I don't know if it's uh, somebody that's already in the league in the free agents ranks, but uh, this this was this I think was a verdict on Garoppolo, and they just don't think he's the guy yeah. long term. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's right. I think that's what kind of what kind of surprised me the most. I, I knew they had uh, uh, something in in the works in order to sign a free agent because when when the deal was done. Um, they didn't have uh, uh, they didn't have anybody yeah, backing up Tom Brady. So you knew something had to happen, Kim. So it did. Uh, guys, we've gone past the hour that uh, that we were going to go through today. So let's go ahead and kind of get right into winners and losers. Lots to choose from this week in the world of sports. And Kip, we're going to go ahead and kick it back to you to get us started this week with your winners and losers in the week in sports. Yeah, I'll keep it brief, but I think the winner is clearly Major League Baseball. Um, you know, I've complained about the playoff schedule and the length of the season and all those things, but this World Series has been everything you could possibly want. It's disappointing here if Game 7 turns out to be a bummer um, with Houston ahead 5 to nothing. Hopefully the Dodgers can make a little run and make it at least dramatic here. Uh, amazingly, this is the first Game 7 in the history of Dodger Stadium uh, in a World wow. Series game, which is amazing. Uh, it's been it, the Dodgers have been playing there since the early '60s, and they've never had a World Series game. And they've had some pretty good teams, and never had a Game Seven at home. And so far, it's not working out. Unfortunately, I'm going to give the loser designation to a guy that I have no animosity toward, but um, Hugh Darvish, a uh, huge acquisition for the Dodgers from Texas mid-season. Pitched well for the Dodgers. He had some injuries, but uh, looked really good in the playoffs. His two World Series starts have been abysmal. Uh, He got absolutely bombarded in Houston uh, down there in game three, and tonight uh, didn't even last the second inning. Uh, Got shelled for five runs here by Houston early on. So um, nothing against the Japanese folks. I love you guys like brothers, but your your man Hugh Darvish (laughs) – uh, when the lights were brightest here, did not step up. So, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to hang the L on 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 our Japanese hurler from uh, from the Dodgers. Yeah, I tell you, Kip, I was surprised. I really thought your Darvish was going to come out and throw a gem tonight. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you, you look at what happened in Houston, it certainly looked like just one of those starts that, you know, just wasn't a good start. He didn't have all of his stuff. And then you see what happened with Guriel and, and – uh, and, and and that unfortunate situation, I, I figured with you, Darvish, getting the ball in Game 7 at home at Chavez Ravine, you know, I, I thought it was going to be a storybook ending for a storybook ending for him, and it just doesn't look like it's it's going to turn out that way. So that, that's disappointing. You hate to see that 
Um, and I wanted to see a close game. Who knows? Maybe it will be a close game. You never know. There were 25 runs scored in game five, so uh, we're only five runs into this game. Uh, probably unlikely that that happens at this point in time, but, man, what a great World Series into here. So you're exactly right. Pete Tasca, live from Buffalo, New York. Your winners and losers this week in the world of sports. Well, I'm, I'm going to keep it in our probably uh, the, the favorite division in the NFL, the, the NFC South of, of this show at least. And I'm going to stay away from the Falcons. I'm, I'm not even going to mention that team. Uh, we're talking off about them. But I'm going to give my winner to the New Orleans Saints in the five-game winning streak that they're on. Now five and two atop of that division. I don't think anyone saw this coming. Coming into the year, they started out 0-2. And now here we are, they're 5-2, and two. they're playing good football. They're not leaning on Drew Brees the way they have the last couple of years. They're, they're doing it shockingly with defense in a running game. It's just a, a, an amazing kind of shift that's happened, and I don't think anybody saw that coming. So my winner of the week is the New Orleans Saints. My loser of the week is going to stay right in the division as well, the Tampa Bay Bucks, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. At 2-5, and five, this team is swooning. With all of the uh, off-season acquisitions, Deshaun Jackson, O.J. Howard, you know, the evolution we, we thought of uh, Jameis Winston and uh, a nice young core of defenders and a, a draft class that looked like it was going to infuse some more talent onto that defense this year and the year prior as well. And they're just not getting it done, and it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. And I'm just going to have to give my loser of the week to the Tampa Bay Bucks because the, the high hopes that I had for them in being a wild-card contender this year I think are dashed already. And we're only in week eight, nine into yeah. the NFL season. No, I, I think you're right, Pete. But Kip, I, I sense a, I, I sense a, a little brown nose on uh, on uh, the Buffalo <laughs> Bad Boys winner. I, I, I think he knows that that New Orleans is coming into Buffalo in in eleven days, and and he, he he he's trying not to give any of the Saints some bulletin board material. You know what I mean? I, I think what Pete did just there, Kip, I, I think Nick Saban would call that rat poison. Yes, I, I, I think so. Of course, you, you've already poisoned the Bills with your 11-win prediction. So. That's right. Uh, that's true, Kip. Very true. Well, you know what? That's a, that's a good Pete point, Kip. I guess. just trying to administer an antidote. I, yeah, that, that's a good point. I, I guess I, – I Pete is allowed a little rat poison because I just, I just um, in early November just predicted that Buffalo was going to have an 11 win season. So I, I yeah. guess he's entitled to throw a little rat poison on uh, on uh, on his winners and losers. But I agree <laughs> with that. My winners and losers this week. I've got two winners this week. My first winner is hands down the best winner that I have ever had. We've been doing this podcast now, guys, for three years. We've done the winners and losers segment at the end of every podcast. I have never had a winner more defined than my first winner this week, and that is Cincinnati Bengals backup quarterback, A.J. McCarron. He's my winner this week. Why is A.J. McCarron a winner this week? Because he almost became a Cleveland Brown. Think about that guy. The ultimate he winner. almost became a Cleveland Brown at the trade deadline, and the deal couldn't get done as a result of the deal not getting done. A.J. McCarron is not a Cleveland Brown. So more than anybody in the history of the Red Zone Sports Report, my big winner this week 
is a backup quarterback in the NFL, one who did not become a Cleveland Brown, and that is <laughs> A.J. McCarron. My second winner this week is everybody in the world that took the over in Game 5 of the World Series that featured <laughs> 2015 Cy Young Award winner Dallas Keuchel, 14-5 and five with a 2.9 ERA against three-time Cy Young Award winner Clayton Kershaw coming in at 18-4 and four with a 2.31 ERA. The over-under in that game, folks, was seven runs. I wouldn't have taken the over in that game with Pete's money. Yet 25 <laughs> runs were scored in this baseball game. 13 to 12 in extra innings. My second winner of the week is anybody who took the over in game five total runs scored in the World Series. Bravo to you if you're listening and you did that. You, along with A.J. McCarron, are my winner of the week. My loser of the week, it, it's hard not to give this award to Jim McElwain. Um, you know, you you look at, at, at the opportunities that it looked like he had to turn that program at Florida around when he came in less than three years ago. And, you know, even though they were having a bad football season this year, I still don't know that he would have lost his job had he not made the allegation or made the statement last week that he and his family and some of his players had received death threats. As it turned out, when the university investigated such a claim, they found no evidence that Jim McElwain or his family or any of the Florida football players had received death threats. Uh, McElwain goes on to lose very badly to the Georgia Bulldogs this past weekend at the world's largest cocktail party. And just like that, Jim McElwain is out of a job. Not only is he out of a job, but as we discussed in the first segment, he had a $12 million buyout if he were to be fired. And by making that allegation, it looks like, it looks like, he is likely going to cost he and his family probably somewhere around $8 million. The reports wow. uh, that I'm seeing um, today say that the, the, uh, the, buyout, the, um, the buyout will be somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 to $4 million. What makes it more complicated, folks, is that Jim McElwain's agent is none other than Jimmy Sexton, who is also the agent for Dan Mullen who is also the agent for three or four other head coaches that are likely going to be considered for the head coaching job at the University of Florida. So just a really bad deal for Jim McElwain um, and his, his agent. Looks like he's going to be a little conflicted um, as he's trying to negotiate a buyout for a head coach who, by the way, has already agreed to step down. So my big loser for the week is Jim McElwain. Um, but let's give a big round of applause for A.J. McCarron. Guys, he could have been a Cleveland Brown this week. But he's not a Cleveland Brown. And so A.J. McCarron is my winner of the week. Kip and Pete, it's always great having you on the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, you can – 
switch over and it's only in the fourth inning in the World Series. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's a competitive game right now. We came to you this week on Wednesday because of Halloween um, yesterday, uh, but we will be with you next week on the 7th, and as we talked about, we have seven games in college football between top 25 teams. That's really going to shake up the next rankings uh, the next college football playoff rankings. Got a lot going on in uh, NFL football this week. We didn't even have a chance to get into a lot of it, but hope you tune in next week. Kip will be back. Pete will be back. Steve Butler, the Savage Burn, his new hobby of tennis. Next weekend, <laughs> next week, when we do the podcasts, Steve will be off of the tennis court. He has promised me he'll be off the tennis court. So we're going to bring him back. And and we're gonna have. I, we miss him this week. I really wish he could have given us, a, you know, his thoughts on the um, on the Atlanta Jets game because I know he has a very strong opinion on it. But we're gonna have to wait until next week to hear the Savage Burn strong opinion. So thanks everybody for listening, Pete and Kip. It's always great having you. We will see everybody next Tuesday, eight thirty p.m. Red Zone Sports Report on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>